Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. You are again listening to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast, Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show. This is episode 415, recorded on Sunday the 5th of December 2021 at 23.11.29. First of all, sorry again, I'm back. Later than expected, nothing really changes in the entire time that I've been doing this show. I have noticed that listenership is down, so if you're new to this podcast, you'll almost certainly have missed out on some really great content, including some recent episodes, such as episode 414, which is our continuing Vintage Doctor Who revisit, in which we talked about the androids of Tara. There have also recently been two fairly in-depth reviews of Dune in episode 412, and the TV series by Mike Flanagan, Midnight Mass, in 413. Shortly before this episode... I just finished watching the last episode of Doctor Who and the Flux arc. Man, it is so complicated. (laughs) And in that last episode, so much happened. Ah, I don't even know where to start. Which is fine, because I'm not going to. That's as much as I'm going to mention. I'm watching it merely for pleasure, not to review. Although now and again I do talk about modern Doctor Who. My main thing in this podcast is to review the old episodes. One adventure at a time, and I've been doing that since 2014. Quite a long time then. Usually what happens is I'll record two episodes a week. One will be that vintage Doctor Who revisit, and the other one will be like this. Just a general relaxed geek chat. Telling you what I've been doing, watching, reading, and so on. I suppose two of the most significant things that happened were regarding the car and my COVID-19 booster. The car, which has been and continues to be an endless money pit, is back on the road. Yes, after money exchanged hands, more than I expected, which is usual for my car, it is back on the road, it has a fresh MOT, and I have wheels again, which is great because not having a car makes me feel physically sick. Which neatly segues on to the next thing. I had my COVID-19 booster about a week ago. Just getting the booster was a bit of a flap. I was invited via a text message and then I immediately booked an appointment And you know how when you've got an appointment in the future, you have a quick look at it and the time and the date and where it is, and then you keep thinking about it, thinking about it, but you never look again at that calendar entry. And that's what happened to me, and I made an amazing blunder. I (laughs) arrived on the right day at the wrong time. I felt a complete and utter idiot. And the security guard looked at the piece of paper that I showed him with the wrong time. (laughs) And it made me feel even sillier. Anyway, I came in the next day just as a walk-in. And of course, that same security guard was there, so we could laugh it up again. (sighs) But the main thing was that I had the shot. And that was last Sunday. I'm glad and grateful that I had the booster, but man, I was just so sick for a week. 
I'm only just about recovering now, and I still don't feel 100%. If you look at the NHS website and you look at the list of symptoms that you can have as a side effect of a COVID-19 jab, I had all of them. Perhaps it's because I'm not the most robust of men in the first place, but also because the booster is different to the jabs that you've had before. To You know, taking a different vaccine means that you're going to boost your immunity again rather than taking a vaccine that you've already had, which has already run its course of effectiveness. You know what? I shouldn't be talking about this because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I had every one of those side effects. I had a high temperature and chills and bone-deep aches and pains and terrible headaches. The worst thing, though, was feeling extremely nauseated during the whole week and even today I still every now and then feel nauseated partly it's to do with the side effects but it's also to do with the fact that I'm also coming off some very powerful antacids the nausea this week was so bad that my appetite disappeared entirely and I rapidly lost too much weight to the point where I just didn't feel hungry at all anymore. Like I said, today I'm still not 100%, but I'm getting better. It was weirdly disturbing losing that much weight so quickly. I could see in my face, my face just looked different, and my foot, my foot looked different. Well, feet. I have two of them, of course. It's strange how quickly your feet get skinny when you lose weight. I'm not sure what that's about. At least my feet get skinny. Ah, what a week. And the other thing I realised, do you remember when I was talking about, or have talked about many times in this podcast, how I feel quirky and slightly eccentric, which a lot of people who know me will thoroughly agree with, I have felt at times almost not of this planet. Well, let me tell you, over the last week, that has reversed. I am very much the ape man. (laughs) I don't know, when you are under that much mental and bodily stress, you realise that you're just an evolved primate, and not that far evolved either. Ah, so much for my amazing interstellar genetic origin. Complete crap. I'm as human as everyone else. Oh well, I'm not special anymore. Back to that COVID-19 booster. What worries me now is that with the new South African Omicron variant, they, the boffins, the scientists, the medical people, are saying that we're going to need boosters regularly. After this bout of sickness? Man, I hope I don't have the same reaction that I had this time round. Although I must admit, when I was not having regular flu vaccine shots, I was also having adverse reaction to those, and since I've been having them more regularly, the reactions seem to be lessening. Hopefully there'll be a similar situation regarding these regular COVID-19 boosters, because I don't Fancy being ill for one or two weeks. On the other hand, a week or two of sickness with 
only a few people who are like me, who suffer side effects that are quite drastic, I think that is a small price to pay compared with death. (laughs) Also, if someone as wimpy as me can put up with these symptoms, both for my benefit and for the benefit of those around me, I don't see why those without valid medical conditions that prevent them from getting the vaccine should not get vaccinated. Those people need to get vaccinated. And on with the show, let us start off with the culture section. There is quite a lot to get through tonight, so I'll try and be brief in each section, or we'll never finish. And we're already almost a quarter of an hour in, and I haven't even started on the culture. Let's do that now. Free Guy is a 2021 film with Ryan Reynolds playing a disposable non-player character in a video game. What a hilarious concept. I watched the first 10 seconds, but thankfully the quality of my copy of this video was so bad, I had a reason to discontinue, which I did with pleasure. (laughs) Next, The Wanting Mare. This is a 2020 low-budget science fiction film by Nicholas Ash Bateman, which was initially executively produced by the amazing Shane Carruth, who has sadly given up filmmaking. Let us take this opportunity for a slight tangent, watch Upstream Colour, and listen to Pod 22 back in 2014 when I talked about Upstream Colour, which I recommended and enjoyed. I miss Shane Carruth. Come back to filmmaking, Shane. In The Wanting Mare, a young woman is a resident of a colony planet divided into the haves and the have-nots. She is one of the have-nots who is hoping to follow the annual export of horses to the hopefully rich land of milk and honey. That does not happen, but it might or might not for her daughter. Technically, the film could be classed as science fiction, but I saw precious little of the hard science, and it definitely did not make me want to immigrate on one of Elon's wunderships for a chance to begin again in a golden land of opportunity and adventure. And that's The Wanting Mare, with the <laughs> a little bit of other geekdom mixed in. Let's move on to another science fiction film that I watched, and that is Finch. Do you remember A Boy and His Dog? That... Perverse but entertaining post-apocalyptic film starring Don Johnson, written by Harlan Ellison. This is not it. It's a rather more gentle story about an old man and his dog who are trying to escape the storms of a solar-ravaged America, and presumably world, with his dog and a robot. I thought Finch was competent, it looks good, but it is sad, and not that much happens. My mother, on the other hand, who watched it with me, liked it. I was left feeling depressed and a bit disappointed. Unbelievably, I have not yet reported back on No Time To Die. I have seen it now. And the first thing I've got to say is, seriously, what is Rami Malek's character's name? I'm going to try and say this now. Luyutsifer Safin. 
Lucifer Safin. Seriously, Lucifer Satan? <laughs> you gotta just picture that table read. I am sure there was giggling. Another thing that induced giggles, at least in me, was that Belmarsh prison scene where Blofeld. <laughs> arrives on this little choo-choo train. That did make me giggle. <laughs> me and my mum were watching it at the same time, and I said just under my breath, choo-choo. <laughs> there was a lot of suppressor giggling. I bet... At the cinema, if you'd seen this, someone must have said choo-choo. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I'm such a child. <laughs> oh, God, that's not even funny. Okay. Oh. Okay, what did they get right? Well, they must have been really stung from the ridiculous... Bond science of Skyfall, in that they at least got the dioxin poisoning right in Rami Malek's character. I suppose they must have almost certainly based that on the case of the poisoning of the ex-president of the Ukraine, Viktor Andreevich Yushchenko. Something that actually happened in real life. Uh, poisoning after effects seem realistic and disturbing. The whole family at Castle Royenstein has now seen No Time to Die. My mother and father watched it a day or two later. Or the day later? Can't remember which at the moment. The reviews were mixed, though I thought the ending was incredibly traumatic. It knocked me sideways. I know I'm skipping ahead a bit at the moment, but I just wanted to mention that now, because that's the thing that stuck out the most. I know I said there would be no spoiler warnings, but spoiler warnings. There you are. You've had your spoiler warning. Bond appears to die. <laughs> but the title of this movie is No Time to Die, so who knows. This is supposed to be Daniel Craig's last outing as Bond, and he glows out in the blaze of not so much glory as despair. Which is just as well. I hate people who go out in blazes of glory. It's all very Charge of the Light Brigade. It's all total nonsense. For me, the end of Daniel Craig's tenure as Bond took me back to my mum taking me to see The Man with a Golden Gun in 1974 at the Elephant and Castle ABC. It's been quite a ride over the years with so many different Bonds. David Niven, Sean Connery, Roger Moore. I'm not going to go through them all. I have stuck with them all and I am still reeling. As for the movie itself, I thought the plot was decidedly average. The Bond girl was... Pretty average. I've said that before. In conclusion, I would say the most notable thing about this film are the stunts, which are mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. The other thing that's notable about this film is its exceedingly long runtime. Man, it never ends. Bring back intermissions, that's what I say. Well, of course, I was watching it at home so I could have an intermission any time I want. But it'd be nice to have a little thing that comes up at a convenient time halfway through the movie and says, intermission. And then you can press stop and go and have a cup of tea or something. 
a hard-coded intermission, something that would also be used in the cinemas, though I'm not sure. Time of COVID? Can we actually do this kind of thing? Can you have an intermission? Can you have people milling around the foyer? I don't know. Anyway, No Time to Die, Eh, it was okay, it wasn't anything special, it was competent, the stunts were spectacular, but the ending with a blown-up James Bond, I don't know about that. That was weird, that was unsettling, that was out of character. It was jarring, which is a word I often use. Overuse. Dune. I have already talked about Dune at length. Go back and listen to a previous episode of Crash. I just wanted to add, though, since watching it, I've had the David Lynch Dune theme from 1984 by Toto earworming through my brain to the extent that I cannot remember the music from the new film soundtrack, even though I'm a Hans Zimmer fan. I just can't remember anything notable about that music from the latest movie that I'd just seen. That is diabolical. What else is diabolical is that my stomach's growling into the mic, that's no good, that's not the diabolical thing that I wanted to mention. The diabolical thing that I wanted to mention, stop saying diabolical, is that I've been whistling the tune of the 1984 Dune theme through my mic plugged into my PA with lots and lots of reverb and delay, and man, that's a cool whistle that I would love to share with you, but for copyright reasons I can't. Doesn't copyright stink? Let's move on to something else. Let's move on to TV now. Uh, What have I been watching? Okay, Dexter, New Blood, The Forensics Expert, and Serial Killer is back for a mini-series sequel to Dexter. After years and years and years, and I'm watching it. I watched the entire Dexter when it was actually being broadcast. I'm watching this more out of a sense of completion than wanting Dexter to return, and somehow I don't think the star of the show, Michael C. Hall, wants to launch into another very long return of his character. He is too much of a superstar now. If you think back to the end of the last series... Dexter had left Miami, left his old job in forensics, and settled into the cold north. For me, that environment filled me with a little nostalgia. I know the cold north quite well. Considerably further north than where Dexter is at the moment. Dexter appears to have adapted well into his environment... Until... Look, you hardly need me to tell you where this is going. (laughs) Dexter is going to return to his old habits, otherwise there would be no reason for this miniseries or the title Dexter New Blood, which also refers to something else which I'm not going to get into, just in case it's a spoiler. You know what, I said that I wouldn't care about spoilers again, and I really don't, but it's not that significant. You'll find out in the first couple of episodes. Dexter New Blood is being broadcast at the moment. Streamed, sorry. What am I doing? Broadcast? That's so 20th century. But then I am a 20th century boy. Next, UFO. This is J.J. Abrams' new-ish documentary. It's not that new, but it's new to me. It is about, as the title suggests, UFOs. You know how I do love a good conspiracy theory, particularly when it's to do with UFOs. I love The X-Files, 
And I remember back to my days at the hideous school. Luckily, I only spent a few years there. I used to read The Unexplained, which, weirdly, that school's very small library had a complete set of the collected volumes of that conspiracy theory magazine. Props to them for otherwise being a wholly unremarkable, miserable, overpriced school full of entitled little darlings. I found the first episode of UFO engaging until I noticed something. And that thing that I noticed was that some of the interviewees were believers rather than objective experts. And then my interest waned, because while I like conspiracy theories, I love unusual phenomena. I can't get enough of it, in fact. What I don't like is a very one-sided view. I like to know the whole story. I like to know every angle. I would love for one of these theories to be true. I would be very interested if ghosts and aliens actually existed. But the way to do it is not just having people who just blanketly believe these things. I might watch some more of it if I do have some spare time. I like the look of it, but I wish it was a bit more objective. And that's J.J. Abrams' UFO. And it is, of course, nice seeing J.J. branching out into docks. Although I'm not sure how involved he was in this, other than it's a bad robot production. I think it's a bad robot production. So much for my deep research. Next, Angela Black. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I've been watching this ITV thriller titled Angela Black. I found that the tone shift at the end of the series was extremely jarring. It went from a traumatic and upsetting thriller to a campy Hitchcock-type thriller in almost just a finger click. It was really strange, and it undermined the seriousness of the story. Angela Black ended on a bit of a damp squib. Next, The Haunting of Bly Manor. I have been enjoying The Haunting of Bly Manor. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. It is a ghost story, and it does seem very similar and derivative to a lot of other ghost stories. Films like The Others with Nicole Kidman and Haunted, which was based on James Herbert's Ash series. The reason for that is that The Haunting of Bly Manor is an adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which is an early story that has influenced so many others, which is why bringing it out now makes it feel derivative, but in actuality, those other things, like the others and Haunted, are derivative of The Haunting of Bly Manor. So I think it should get a pass. The things that irritated the hell out of me were some of the terrible accents, but my accent fascism aside, (laughs) I did like the show, and it ended in much the way I expect all Mike Flanagan shows to end. He's a chap after my own heart. Next, Foundation. Yeah, let's talk about Foundation. I have been watching it, and the first season is now over. I found the effects, the acting, the production, the script, all were excellent. If 
the story was only tangentially related to the Foundation books. Herein does not lie the source of my problem with this. You thought I was just going to jump on the bandwagon and say, it's not like the Foundation. Well, no, that's not my problem. I would have been willing to stick it out for another season or two until I read that the adapter slash writer David S. Goyer is intending to string this TV show out for several seasons until we get to the big bad mule, who is a massively pivotal and popular character in Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy. I say to you, David Escoyer, no thank you. That is too long to wait. I would have been willing to sit out a miniseries or maybe two seasons at the most, but this is just too much. Next, The Lost Symbol. I have finally watched the end of this miniseries based on the Dan Brown book. What a sad and depressing ending. I compared notes with my mother who has read the novel and there are some substantial differences, but it ends in much the same way. That ending, that type of ending, yeah, look, I'm okay with endings that aren't all sweetness and light, but that was just too depressing. There was also, at the end of the last episode, a promise of another adventure, but there is no way in hell that this series is returning. I'm not wishing it ill, I just don't see how they'll bring this back. I haven't read other reviews, but I notice the ratings aren't very high for it, and I simply can't see Rising Star Ashley Zuckerman, who plays the main character, Robert Langdon, investing any more time in the decidedly average tomb raiding. Neither do I think is Eddie Izzard willing to come back to this. Izzard is no spring chicken, and I don't think he's just going to waste any more time on this. He'll be wanting to do other stuff like stand up or whatever the hell he's doing next. Which reminds me, I've got that old Eddie Izzard stand-up comedy routine. What was it called? I don't know, but it's on VHS, believe it or not. Games Master. Games Master is back. It is back on E4 in the UK with Trevor McDonut. <laughs> I'm sorry, Trevor McDonald, replacing Patrick Moore in the iconic title character. I found the first episode inoffensive, and the golden joysticks just as naff as before. Was it a quick-fire joystick? It's just that it looks like that. It looks like they've just dunked a quick-fire joystick in gold paint, because I've actually got a quick... Is it quick-fire or quick-shot? It's on top of my bookcase. I'm looking at it right now. It does seem to resemble the Games Master joystick. Sorry, the Games Master golden joystick. <laughs> I am glad that gaming is back on television, though I think they should have pushed the envelope a bit and updated the show for a younger esports slash Twitch audience instead of aiming at middle-aged blokes. Though middle-aged blokes who are a bit younger than me, I think I was already fairly grown up when this came out, I think. It was a long time ago. Talking of things that are back, Star Trek Discovery is also back. And it's another universe-ending disaster that they're trying to avert. Another one. I just hope that the new Star Trek show that's coming gets back to slightly less fraught, less high-stakes exploration, which is why I loved the original Star Trek, just Star Trek, 
although now it's known as Star Trek Toss. What an unflattering title. Oh. <laughs> well, I suppose they can't cater just for UK <laughs> viewers. Oh, dear. Where were we? I've lost my track now. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that remains in the show is that I know that there's some criticism of the star of the show, who plays Michael, that she can only do despair or joy. That's not true. It's everyone. It is the entire cast, which suggests it's not their fault. It's the fault of the script. Everything is high stakes. Everything is either despair or ecstasy. Unbearable joy. It is hard to watch a show like that, let me tell you. It is like this obsession we have in music, in metal. We go for that V-shape in... (laughs) I'm just trying to explain this. In the sound of things nowadays, we like lots of treble, and we like lots of bass, and not so much of the middle. I think there needs to be more middle. We need a mid-boost for genre entertainment. (laughs) It's a very involved and complicated metaphor that almost no one will understand what the hell I'm talking about. It's a music thing. Never mind. Let me just move on to... What else was I going to say? I was going to say something else about Star Trek. I'm afraid I'm going to have to hit pause so I can have a sip of my drink and have a little think. I'm back. And by the way, that was not the first time I've pressed pause tonight. It's just hard to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, what I was going to say, and this isn't the first time I've mentioned this, is that I don't like that character. Oh, what's their name? Adira, I think? You know, the young, annoying, Wesley Crusher-like character? If you thought... Wesley Crusher was annoying. This character's even more annoying. I know some people compared Tilly to Wesley Crusher, but believe me, Tilly is the Dalai Lama compared to that young character who's now been made an ensign, so we are never going to get rid of them. It doesn't matter. I'm not too invested in this series. I'll get over it. I'm just looking forward to the new series when it comes out. Finally, Dean Stockwell, R.I.P. Dean Stockwell, known for films like Blue Velvet, brilliant, brilliant David Lynch film. The first Dune movie, also by David Lynch. Seems to be a friend of David Lynch. And, of course, Quantum Leap. And lots of other character-actor-type roles. Died at age 85. That was reported by Variety almost a month ago now. R.I.P. Dean Stockwell. Man, he was so creepy in Blue Velvet. Let's move on to something else, and that something else is our text section. I'm going to whiz through this, because I know how much people probably, though I'm not quite sure, hate hearing me talk about gear. Let me know if you hate me talking about gear, because I've come to the stage where I hate talking about gear. The microphone upgrade has become a total fiasco. What do I mean by that? In summary, there's just too much choice of equipment. I might be a techno geek, but after all this testing, I'm developing a deep-seated hatred for podcasting gear. I want to take this opportunity to talk briefly about the SM7B and the SM58. I recently re-bought the SM7B. I still have it. I have found with my testing, that it has a slightly lower noise floor than the SM58 and the XM8500. 
The SM8500 was my original mic for a lot of years, and I more recently bought the SM58, which I'm speaking to right at the moment. The SM7B also records slightly more information at the top end, the treble end, sounds slightly smoother, is slightly easier to use for beginners because of the built-in shock mount and windscreens, and its propensity to pick up quite well even if you move your head around, and some of the built-in switches. All of those things makes it fairly easy to use as a beginner. Is it, however, worth it? A resounding no. Although I do own one, and I like it, and it is now part of the equipment I'm earmarking for my new studio when we move, did you hear how many times I said slightly? That is because there are many other mics that sound only fractionally worse than the SM7B. And at a fraction of the cost. By the time you process your audio through a DAW, a digital audio workstation, or a sound wave editor like Audacity, the differences will be negligible. However, the SM7B does look nice on a desk boom arm. My tip to you, if you are a novice podcaster, is to find a mic that produces audio that requires the least editing for your voice and the environment in which you record. I'm not saying that an SM7B isn't the ideal mic for you, it might well be. But don't base your purchasing decision on how the stupid thing looks. Believe me, the novelty will wear out fairly fast. Finding mics to upgrade my studio setup was quite a trial, which is why I have ordered and returned several pieces of studio and musical equipment recently. As far as mics go, I selected an SM58 and SM7B because I chose to sacrifice the clarity of the XM8500 by Behringer, which costs a fraction of either of those mics, around £15, in order to lessen the clickiness of my voice, which means less editing time, and my time is invaluable. I haven't completely abandoned my Behringer XM8500s, however, if I ever get fancy, I might use the XM8500s as guitar cab mics, as they sound really good for that purpose. I also have uh, Audio-Technica 875R short shotgun mic, which remains my outdoor field mic, usually attached to my PCM-M10 by Sony, a little solid-state recorder that's no longer available. In conclusion, What's happening at the moment is my regular mic is now an SM58. When I move and have a studio, it will be the SM7B, though I'll retain the SM58 as something I can hold in my hand because its handling noise rejection is superb. For now, my Behringer XM8500s have a little bit of a sit down. <laughs> Let's move on to the Elgato Wave mic arm the high-rise version of that. This is a desk-mounted high-rise boom arm, which is about the same price as the Rode PSA1. It is slightly more expensive at the moment, but I confidently predict it will be about the same price. Compared to the almost industry standard for podcasters Rode PSA1 boom arm, it is not quite as smooth-moving, it is a little more plasticky, but importantly, it's high enough with the supplied extension tube to dangle over your monitor. Its clamping system also forms a more solid attachment to your desk. That arm doesn't wiggle in its post like the road does. And there is a positionable 
mic screw adapter that is much more versatile and easier to move and locks into position. There is also included a weight to make the arm suitable for much lighter mics, like my short shotgun or my SM58, and a tensioning adjustment system as well. So it is very versatile. Like my SM7B that is earmarked for my new studio. Would I recommend this new boom arm from Elgato? I'd say to you decide between it or its low-rise sibling, one that can go underneath the monitor, or the Rode PSA-1. All other options are either much cheaper or much worse, like newer, or much better and much more expensive, like products from Yellowtech, OC White, etc. As for the long-term reliability of this new Elgato Wave Mic arm, the venerable old-fashioned Rode PSA-1 has proved itself with many other podcasters, whereas the Elgato is new, so I'll let you know how I get on with it. I only have this one. I have tried the Rode PSA-1, but for the reasons I mentioned before, particularly that clunk-clunk, loose-fitting in its mount, I returned it, and I'm only using this one, or I will be when I get to my new studio. When I have a good long time using it, I'll let you know how I get on with it and update you about its usefulness to me. Until then, I'm just using a floor mic stand to hold my trusty SM58. I say trusty, I've only been using it for a month or two. You may ask yourself, why am I stockpiling this gear if I'm not immediately going to use it? That's a valid question. I use Camel Camel to check prices on Amazon, and I am afraid of escalating prices. Prices go up and down, they fluctuate a lot. And there is something that I really despise, and that's surge pricing. I think, though, given that mics like the SM7B are reducing in popularity and people are moving towards the even more expensive EV RE20, I think there might be a slight reduction in price. In the UK, the SM7B retail price from Shaw directly is 369 On Amazon, it's around 330 It would not surprise me if it reached around 299 though I'm not confident about that, and I'd rather not have a stomachache worrying about prices going up and down, so it stays here in storage in a box. That is it for my brief diversion to talking about podcast gear. Let's do something else. Let's talk about computing. Let's talk about retro computing. Let's talk about development, stuff like that. The good stuff. Orc and said. I have recently bought second-hand copies of the O'Reilly Said and Orc Pocket Reference, an excellent and cult book. I also bought a Vi Pocket Reference because I've been a user of Vi for perhaps longer than a lot of listeners have been alive. I also bought a Microsoft Q Basic book as well because I'm more of a scripter than a hardcore coder, and because QBasic was my first serious language, before that was Commodore 64 Basic, but I didn't do much in that apart from copy code from the back of magazines and find that it wouldn't work. (laughs) I had a much more successful time writing code in QBasic, so it was really my first proper language, And it's the way that I still think. People will sneer at that, saying, oh, you think in BASIC, that's not much good. But remember, QBASIC was a structured programming language. It was serious, and it led on to things like QuickBASIC, which led on to Visual BASIC for DOS, Visual BASIC for Windows, and the rest is history. 
unfortunately, because then it went to visualbasic.net and that was rubbish. Anyway, the point is, I'm getting back into coding, and the way I think is in QBasic. So if I can write out a program in QBasic, that will be my pseudocode, and I'll use that to translate it into a more modern language like Lua. Or an even older language like Rex, which I also really like. Rex, what a language. While looking for those books in storage, which was in vain, and I ended up having to buy them because I would have to overturn the entire garage full of furniture, full of just stuff. It's just impossible to get into. I also found during that exploration of the garage a huge cache of old CD-ROMs, floppy disks, mobile phones, just lots and lots of stuff. Very, very retro stuff. I had CDs for Virgin Internet. <laughs> lots of magazine cover CDs, lots of magazine cover floppies, lots of old floppy software. Really, really retro stuff. And my question to you, the listener, is would that be a good subject for YouTube? If you knew that I was going to go diving through those discs in some kind of digital tomb raiding, would you be interested in a channel like that? Let me know. Of course, financially, I'm in no condition to be doing this because I don't have a decent camera to film myself. I'll think of something, even if it means just saving video from DOSBox. While we were exploring for computer books in the garage, like I said, we found those floppies. Some of them came in a locked box of discs. Do you remember those smoked plastic disc boxes? probably made by an OEM somewhere in China, but variously labelled as... I can't remember any of the names of the makers of these things. But you know the type I'm talking about. It's about a foot square, and lots of us had them, and we kept our floppy disks in them. And when I say floppy disk, I mean the small ones, the 3.5-inch ones. So yeah, this came in a locked box which was very frustrating. How would I get into that box? Well, I was far too proud of myself, because what I did was I fashioned for myself a handcuffs lockpick from a paperclip, and it worked. I managed to liberate my floppy disk from the locked box, and it is such a hacker move. Okay, such a junior hacker move. <laughs> because handcuffs are the first lockpick that you learn to make. It's just a very simple, small right angle. A couple of millimetres. I just guessed that this would be a simple lock, and I twiddled around my handcuffs lockpick inside, and it popped open. The weird thing is, though, inside that locked box... I found the key to the box. <laughs> oh, look, the hinge of the box itself was loose, so I suppose what happened was I put the key and the other bits and just assembled the box around it with one part still loose. I shouldn't really call myself that clever because I didn't notice that and I went through the whole... <laughs> <laughs> process of making a lockpick just to unlock something that was already sort of unlocked, but from the hinges? Ah, oh, I don't know. But look, I got the lock unlocked, and I'm proud of myself. Moving on. Did you know most browsers no longer support FTP? Well, you probably did, but I'm a bit slow to this stuff. Chrome, Firefox, Vivaldi no longer support FTP for some security reason. 
I think you know better than I do. Let me know if you know the reason for that. That sucks. Because I've been browsing through old MS-DOS archives and mirrors of defunct sites like Simtel.net. Do you remember Simtel? Luckily, many mirrors use HTTP instead of FTP. Unluckily, many of the mirrors also do not seem to have a complete copy of the old sites. People, we're losing the past as we speak. Think about digital preservation before closing down your site. Perhaps that's another thing you'd like to see me doing, trying to find stuff online from the past. The distant past. As I said before, I got a Vi Pocket Reference, which is a cult book from O'Reilly, along with the Sedanork Pocket Reference. After a decade, I also finally upgraded from Vim 7.3 from 2010 to Vim 8.2 the latest release from 2019. This is something I've always put off, because jumping so many versions, I worried some change in file locations would louse things up. There were problems, but I solved them with a bit of batch and Vim script hacking. And again, I'm overly proud of myself for managing that. Hello, Bram. There is something gratifying about getting to use your computer skills after decades of not using your computer skills. I feel like I'm starting to regain those old skills. I also took the opportunity to upgrade BusyBox, but I found it problematic redirecting command outputs to file. I'm not sure why that is, but it is partly also the reason I'm looking for the old new file text and shell utilities for Win32 and MS-DOS. Those used to be my go-to tools when I was doing ETL as a consultant, but I lost track of them many, many years ago, and never bothered to keep copies. Again, digital preservation. You can see why that can be a problem, because if you don't keep the tools that you use, years later, when you look them up again, they have gone. I'm sure I will eventually find them, but it is a hell of a procedure looking for them. Busybox, by the way, are all those shell commands that you'll find on most Unix-type systems bundled into one binary. I'm not sure how much my listeners are into this stuff, so perhaps I'll move on for now. But if you'd like to hear me wax on more about techie stuff, let me know. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off, wax on. Backyard astronomy. Yes, I've been doing some backyard astronomy using my crappy mislined binoculars. I have a pair of 8 by 40 binoculars that are nice and bright, but a tiny bit too shaky and don't have enough magnification. And like I said, they're a little misaligned. Still, they're okay for casual stargazing. I did think of having them realign. By that, I mean fixing the collimation errors, but the job would cost much more than the binoculars are actually worth. When I did my recent bit of stargazing, or rather moongazing, I had a very good look at the moon. I also saw Capella until it was blocked out by clouds. I use the excellent SkyMap app on Android to find objects, then pretend I'm a space genius. 
if you want to sound far superior than other people at cocktail parties, the SkyMap app is what you want. When there are eventually cocktail parties again, if there ever are going to be those types of parties, oh dear, we're going to a dark place. And that is it for the main part of the show. We are in the after show section now. And here's some correspondence. Some of which are from listeners, I'm assuming. Let me know if you listen to the show in your replies and emails. First of all, I've got some correspondence from a person called Dai Zer. Nai Klau Sawi. I better spell that. D Y Z U R N Y K L A S O W Y. That is at that name from Twitter, who on November the 15th. Referring to Firefox dropping FTP support, said to me, honestly, it's not as painful as dropping Gopher support. And he gave me a sort of slightly unhappy face, which is uh, colon and uh, backslash or forward slash, depending on your point of view. It doesn't matter. And yeah, I was not into Gopher. I do remember the text-based sort of alternative to the whole HTML and web server model, but I never used it. It wasn't something that I knew much about either, but I did know about FTP, and I was a heavy, heavy user of FTP, both running a client and a server. Thank you for your comment, and now our next comment from frequent commenter, and I think listener, though I don't want to take that for granted, Dr. Mars, who is at S. Garnell, that's S-G-A-R-N-E-L-L on Twitter, who on November the 16th, referring to an exchange about musical instruments, said, yes, I play Electric bass. It's a Music Man Sterling, I think. Need to check now. Yes, it did turn out to be a rather natty Music Man Sterling bass guitar. I have a very run-down old Marlon Sidewinder full-scale bass guitar, which is, if you know anything about basses, it's a bass with a PJ configuration pickup. That's half jazz bass, half precision bass. It's a British ripoff of a Fender. I also have one of those Chinese clones of a Fender P Bass Junior, which I really like. It's an excellent bass, and I've got other instruments too. None of them are very expensive. It is nice to sometimes talk rock on Twitter. So thank you, at Escarnell. Angela Borelli, at Angelita Green 68 on Twitter, on November the 21st, said, referring to the Angela Black ITV drama, crisscross, Watched episode 6 last night, and yes, a nice reminder of the classic Hitchcock slash Patricia Highsmith movie. But nowadays, it would be very odd for someone to sit opposite you on an empty train carriage, face raised eyebrow. Face raised eyebrow. Sorry, she didn't say that. She put an emoji that translated as that when I pasted it to... Ansi text. Yeah, that Angelia Black just ended like strangers on a train, and there's a spoiler. <laughs> there it is. Criss Cross. 
Ah, oh, strangers on the train. Do you remember that? Do you remember Throw Mama from a Train? From the train? From a train. Doesn't matter. Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito. Great film. And, of course, a tribute to the earlier Hitchcock. Strangers on a Train. Crisscross. 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 And that is it. The pain is over. I have finished. <laughs> The show that you just listened to is made by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelled M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. Yes, I will be saying how to spell and pronounce my name unto the end of time itself. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy. 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 Or click on the contact and support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. This was episode 415, recorded on Sunday the 5th of December 2021, but ending on Monday the 6th of December 2021 at a very late or early 004759 Thanks for listening and bye bye for now. Bye. <laughs>